So anyhow, I was up there, and while up there, I was preaching. I caught a cold, couldn't shake it, still hadn't shaked it yet. Anyway, I decided to do the nice thing and give it to my wife, and now she has it now. So you pray for her. She's back at the hotel. Uh, but Lord willing, you'll be able to meet my daughters later on this evening. I have two kids, Jasmine and Janae. One is four, one is eight. And we get the opportunity to travel the country and the world in the ministry of evangelism. You know, we spend nine months of our calendar year here in the United States. And then three of our months we spend, that's like nine years, nine months. Uh, okay, here in the United States. And three months we spend in Central America. So, yo estoy tratando de aprender español. Ustedes aprenden español aquí. I don't know if any Spanish speakers in the house, but however, we we travel. Oh, muy bien, hermano. Yo, yo necesito practicar mi español con usted. Anyway, um, so I have somebody really going to know if I know Spanish or not. However, what the, um, our family, we had Lord's Lace on our burden, just not only those in Central America, but also in the United States as well. And uh, you pray for us this upcoming year. It's one thing to speak in Spanish, another thing to preach in Spanish. And that's what we're trying to get to at this point. And so you pray for our family as we get to, um, you know, obviously, Obviously, not only here in the United States being you know, doing the ministry of the evangelists, but also over there. You'll probably you forgive my voice, even though it's loud. I know it sounds nasally and maybe a little irritating. And so if I'm talking very loud, don't worry about it. I can't hear myself. So I'm just going to keep on going at it anyway. Well, hey, coming in a church, coming to this church, obviously my, my connection very much so was very, Pastor Nick. Uh, Laura and I, um, we grew up together. I mean, basically her sisters, all the Hunter girls, um, um, they're her second oldest sister, Steph, and I were really close and different things to going through high school and whatnot together. And so all through these things of being at the school and now here at the church, definitely an honor to be back. So I don't know what he's saying. You know, as soon as I come, he leaves. So he has no connection if this goes horribly, right, as we go through this. But anyway, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at a kind of an, not an odd passage of Scripture, but a very unique passage of Scripture. And so I'll give you a little while to find it. Let's go to the book of Malachi, the book of Malachi. Find Matthew, turn left, you'll find it. Book of Malachi, last book in the Old Testament. And as you're turning there to Malachi, you know, I, I kind of tell you the direction we are going here with this book, and even a challenge, uh, surprisingly, even for a Sunday morning as we look at this together. Uh, just a little bit about myself, I'm from North Carolina. And uh, from being from the beach side of North Carolina, it's a whole different animal than Western North Carolina. I don't have the draw. I still love the sweet tea, but I don't have the draw and different things there. And as far as living in the East Coast there of North Carolina, our family, um, my dad didn't go to church, my mom did. And uh, well, a long story with my dad. But however, when um, we were growing up, we had a family business, and it was landscaping. And so old enough when I didn't know what a Saturday morning cartoon was, but I knew what a lawnmower was. And before else, I was all, every Saturday, we were out there cutting grass or doing an assortment of different odd jobs and whatnot. And that's a job, actually, that, you know, um, was able to get me through college and stuff that I worked. However, when I went to college, I went to Pensacola Christian, which I saw that y'all are having Dr. Shoemaker here. I just saw him. I was just at Pensacola about two weeks ago. But anyhow, as we were just, um, as I went there to Pensacola, they gave me, you know, part of my application as a student if I wanted to do work assistance, meaning you work to pay your bill while being there. And so I do not want them to know about my past experience in law maintenance. I didn't like that. You know what I mean? I mean, it, I mean, we did it as a family, and we did it, and it worked. Um, but I, in 100-degree weather, it's not cool. You know what I'm saying? And so I remember I did not care what my job was in the least as long as there was an air 
invention technology. You're not doing any of the, the star professors. You see, this is a time of Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. These are the times Greeks. They're all over the news. They're all the ones doing the incredible things. And so as you look here, the people of God feel forgotten. They're like, Lord, do you even care? I mean, if you look at the economic times, you would see a lot of leaky roofs. You would see a lot of abandoned buildings. You would see a whole lot of craziness happening in their land, showing that they really don't have much to them. Well, God sends a prophet. His name is Malachi. His name means my messenger. And he has a message here for the children of Israel. And he says, you know what? And Malachi, in the earlier um, chapter 1, Malachi reminds them that God has not forgotten about you. He has not. However, there is something he's struggling with that I am here to tell you about. Let's read it. Malachi, chapter number one, verse number six. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If I then be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, say the Lord of hosts, unto you? O priest that despise my name. And you say, wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? In that you say, the table, Lord, is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased? Or we please with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Actually, right before we pray, let me tell you what this passage is about, so we're not just kind of read. Let me explain something here, and then we'll pray, because I think you'll think you'll understand the text and the message of where we're going. <coughs> what he's doing is he's challenging them um, concerning their worship. So here's the scene. You have a dad, and again, I'm telling you because of this matter of here of what they were bringing to the priest. There's a dad who goes out and gets ready for the sacrifice. Just get ready to go. Simple. Hey, kids, everybody, come on. Hey, son, son, come here. I need you to go over there, and I want you to grab that lamb right there and bring it so we can go give a sacrifice unto the Lord. Starts walking this way. The son grabs it, and he looks and says, well, dad, dad, this one can't walk. <laughs> we can't. You're supposed to give your best. You're supposed to give the firstborn without spot, et cetera, et cetera, according to the law. Dad, this one can't even see. It's fine, son. Bring that one. Dad, we've never done. Son, bring that one. It's better than what everybody else is doing. I know people who ain't even going to the temple. I know people. I Look, it is about some hard times. And I bet you need to go to bring that, like I told you, and let's go to the temple off of the sacrifice. Son, grab it. Yes, sir. Grab that blind lamb. Come to the temple, gives it to dad. Dad goes to the priest. The priest then looks at it, looks at that. And instead of questioning, and instead of saying that what he's doing is wrong, you know, look at around us. It's a bad times. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. We'll, we'll take care of it. I'll go ahead and offer this sacrifice. It affected their worship. And I want to tell you the dangers of getting bored with God. The dangers of getting bored with God. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you give us wisdom about this, this passage, this text. I, I, I do pray, Lord, that you just empty me and myself and fill thy spirit. 
Lord, I do pray, Lord, for clarity of thought, understanding of your word. Lord, even though I love the Bible, it doesn't mean I can share everything in its truths inside. So I ask for your Holy Spirit's power. Lord, that's beyond me to be able to do what you would have me to do. I don't know the needs here at Ocean County. I don't know all the ins and outs, but I do know that your word can meet everything, meet every need. I pray that you challenge our hearts and challenge our thinking. I do thank you, Lord, for the Bible and what you teach us. May we use it this morning. In Christ's name, certainly we pray it all. Amen. And so they were bringing this, and, and God is saying through Malachi, you know what? If, if I'm your king, then where's my honor? <laughs> you're offering me the blind and the sick, and you're offering me all these things. And as you're offering these things, he's like, how am I supposed to be pleased with you? The first thing you see in verses 7 through 9, um, I mean, sorry, yeah, verses 6 through 8, I'm sorry, is you see, number one, the evidence of what I am going to call complacency. The evidence of complacency. It says in verse number 8, if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? If you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? You got to understand, sometimes we think the Bible's so like, oh, it's so archaic, and that's not necessarily applying to me today. Look, this is not a 24 first century problem where the boss got more than God, okay? He's like, look at this. He says, if a governor came to your house right now, you wouldn't get the blind one, would you? You wouldn't grab the lame one. You would grab the very best you have, and you would bring them. You would offer the best to your governor. And he says, I'm your king. I'm your God. And as I am your God, you go and give me that which is lame and that which is sick. This is not something new that the employer gets more of my heart than God. This is nothing new that the one who wields the paycheck is the one who gets the greatest dedication. What he's saying in this passage is the evidence of complacency, number one, is half-hearted worship given unto God. No, it'll work. It'll be better than anything else. Well, preacher, if you can't find anybody else, if you, I mean, if you try and you try and you try, I guess I can go ahead and do it or whatever it is. What he's saying here is passages our half-hearted worship sometimes is an indicator of our desire for what, doing what it is we want to do for God. As you look at this, as you march down, you see, not only was it this, but you see this always living in the past. Because can you not imagine what the excuses could have been as they bring it? I used to bring something better. For years, for years, I've given my best. But not now. You know, um, some people ask me, Adrian, you travel around the country, you go here, you go here, you go there. What do you think is the great need? You know, many times our churches and whatnot. I believe it can be summarized in a verse of scripture. Love is a pleasure more than lovers of God. I mean, I guess you just put it in one little sentence there. Because many times, if God does work within the schedule, and if God does happen to sometimes fall into my plan, then God's okay. However, Lord knows that if something conflicts with God, what is going to take priority? You know, you see first, half-hearted worship. Um, continues, though, in verse number 13. All right, so, excuse me. Verse 13, it says, he said also, so behold, what a weariness is it. And, and ye have snuffed that, it saith the Lord of hosts. And ye brought that which is torn, and the lame, and the sick. And ye brought an offering, should I accept this at your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and vowed, and sacrificed unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. Number one, it's half-hearted worship, but number two, their service became a drudgery. 
Their service to God became that which they dreaded. That which used to bring them joy now brings them sorrow. That used to excite them on Sunday morning is now that which is something they dread on Sunday morning. The thing they begged the pastor and prayed about to be able to offer their service to the Lord is now something they look forward to. I mean, they look at it and just say, well, I guess to, I guess if I have to. You look here and it says, there serves the king of blood. And he says, behold, what a weariness, and ye have snuffed at it. You see, the word that many times used, the word apathy, is really, and, and I know it's a broad term, but let me define it in this, in this respect. Um, because I believe apathy is getting to the point where you can even complain about the blessings that God has given unto you. Um, what if I did this? Now, this is not going to happen, but this say an illustration. Let's just say on Sunday night I came to your church. And as I'm at your church here, let's just say I'm not preaching. And it's going to come a week later. I'm supposed to be somewhere in um, Ohio next week. But let's just say I, I'm here at your church. And um, Pastor Wilder preaches, and he preaches on Sunday night. At the end of the service, he says this. Hey, um, the evangelist that we had last week is going to be in the back. And uh, Brother Adrian, he has an announcement he'd like to make. If you, Brother Adrian, want to come and make the announcement. Let's say I come run to the front, and I come up here, and I pull up my wallet, and I grab a stack of $100 bills. And then I say this, folks, I will be at this door over here. If you shake my hand, I will give you a $100 bill. This is an illustration, by the way. <laughs> okay. Let's just say after this service is over, man, deal with half the people. Friend migrated north, well, my crib north, he escaped north. 
it was interesting because Brandon knows the kid that was in the story. He was him and his sister were there, and one three was going through, you know, trying to figure out. They knew they were Christians, but they they knew that they kept their Bibles cleverly hidden. And so they would do is they go to the school. They went to the schools and they would tell the children in kindergarten class, "Hey, we're going to do something really special for your parents. We want you to bring the most special thing in your home so we can make an amazing surprise for your parents." Brandon's friend's little sister did not know any better. On the way to school, she went and grabbed her book bag and found the family Bible because obviously she knew where it was. Put it in her book bag and took it to school. When she went to school, obviously they seized a copy of the Bible. And uh, after the parents, after the Brandon and his friend, um, Brandon's friend and his sister were going home that day, they already had the parents strapped to a post. And I'm not even trying to describe what had already happened to them. However, they put the Bible in front of the back. It had been tattered and broken and stuff. It said, if you say that this is not your copy of scriptures and that you recant the Lord Jesus Christ in front of your children, I will let you live to see them grow up. His father refused, and he said that indeed was his copy of scriptures. Alas, that Brandon's friend remembers seeing of his, of his parents when they both were taken from that post, thrown into a street, and a steamer was put in front of the building. Eventually, the two kids did go to South Korea, and that's where there was a ministry right there on the border, and that's how Brandon got to know him. Now, let's just say God had two eyes. Two eyes, right? Got that, got that same energy over here. That energy over here that we have. God has two eyeballs. And one eyeball, he sees that happen in North Korea. Other eyeball, he sees the United States of America. He sees a dad getting ready for work. Oh, I guess I should read something before I go. Oh, well, that, that's too long. That's too long. Let me read this. Okay. Oh, I got my little word for the day. Blessing that your words fail to even describe. You find a way to complain about that. It is just apathetic. He's like, well, you can have such a hardened heart that you can look at me. You say, I would never complain about somebody dropping a hundred bucks every single week in my life. But you know, it would be oh so carnal for us to say, I would never complain about that, but I can complain about the eternal word of God. I can't complain that you got church services when? On Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Preacher, when you're going to get with the time? What I'm saying is, you look at this, and one of the evidences of complacency is not just half-hearted worship, but even what all I get to do for God is a drudgery. He says, behold, what a weariness is it, and ye have snuffed at it. Has nothing to do with tobacco, okay? It has this snuffing, has the idea of sighing. He says, Behold, what a weirdness, and you have <sighs> about me. Now, this is interesting because you see a shift in verse 14. He says, For I am a great king to the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. Oh, this is a powerful passage in verse 14. But he says this, he, <clears throat> he says, wait a second. And I'm not saying that God's having this identity crisis, but follow the train of thinking. He's like, wait a second. I'm a great king. You know what? If you go to the heathen, 
and say my name, Jehovah. You know what they will do? They will tremble. They will think about Jericho. They'll hear that name, Jehovah, and say, oh, that's the God that put the Red Sea in hell. That's that. We don't know anything about it. We heard about it. <laughs> and that God, Jehovah, did all the things he has done. And he said, when I say my name, Jehovah, to my people, here's what they do. sing your praises to me. Folks, I'm, I'm not saying that we have to be taught, but I am saying there's a danger of being bored with God. It's interesting to march down. I mean, really, the whole message is encapsulated. I mean, there's two points, but... The entire message encapsulated in this one of the evidences of complacency. Because I think that we can kind of self-diagnose of where it is that God speaks to our heart about. But I do want to offer a warning and an explanation about something for the second and the last point. Excuse me. It says this, the effect of complacency in chapter number 2, verses 1 through 3. I, I can't preach through the entire book. It'll take too long. However, but we go through verses 1 through 3 in chapter number 2. And it says, and now, O you preach, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, if you will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of the solemn feast, and one shall take your way with it. This is powerful language, obviously, here. And now, okay, so there was the judgment that was given to the ones over here that were bringing the sacrifices, but then now he talks to the leadership, the priest. The priest knew better. You don't take a sacrifice like that. You don't preach like that. You don't lead your home like that. So he talks to the ones in leadership. And he says to those of leadership is that he says, this word specifically is for you. Because I will curse your blessings. <laughs> what on earth? Well, biblically, look, children are a to the Lord. The fruit of the room is his reward. Remember, remember the house? He says that tells to them, I will curse your blessings. So those blessings to which you have. So that means those children will never do right. No, no, no. Cursing means I will put them in a position where they probably won't want to do right. He says that which was going to bring you joy will bring you pain. That which was to one day be like, yes, yes, my children, my heritage, my this, my that. If this continues of this passive just go with it, board with God, then I will curse your blessings. All right? Let's get practical, okay? I guess I have turned what is called a millennial, whatever it is, right? <laughs> the most investigated group of young people upon the planet right now. And I'm not making excuses one way or another of general trends and stuff. But I do have to make one observation. If somebody had to raise us, <laughs> somebody, so the problem, hey, wisdom is justified in 
ones that come behind you. And what I'm saying is, a lackadaisical, bored with God attitude can sometimes be that which is the very curse. Not necessarily you, but your kids. See, that's a, see we can sum up the fact of like, my dumbness causes dumb things to happen in my life. So I was going to stomach the fact that my two daughters, Jasmine and Jeanette, that my foolishness, my lackadaisical, apathetic attitude, I can put Jasmine and Janae, even though they have a free will before God, in a position where they don't even want to know who God is. They don't even want to know the name Jehovah and what he has done. Because they watch the daddy yawn. They watch the daddy, whatever, let's just go, because that's just what we do. Mentality. Solely my opinion. Okay? So flesh on the toilet if you don't like it, listen to me. I am going to tell you personally opinion of mine by observation. And not that I've been in evangelism forever, but for 16 years, last 16 years, I have taught my life into teenagers and to, and to, and to kids. Every Sunday. Full-time ministry. I can't say anything about every generation, but I know a little something about this generation. Every week, states all over the country and all over the world. Can I make an observation? My opinion. I watch godly parents listen to the whole entire thread. I watch godly parents have two types of kids. I see sometimes they have kids that love God, serve Him faithfully. I watch godly parents have another type of child that does not go after the Lord. You said Adrian has a child where he should go, where he goes and not depart from it. Currently, at this stage in his life, he's not walking after, so practically saying he's not walking after God. Some observation follows. I watch unsaved parents have two types of kids. I watch them have kids that actually live for God. Because they say, I want better than what I got back at home. I want God to do something different than they do. I watch unsaved parents have kids that don't love God, follow the same thing mom and dad are doing, whatever that track is, whether it's a respectable sin, as some people will call it, a breed or whatever it is. However, they go down that path. They don't really see an observation here. Last one. Lukewarm parents always have lukewarm kids at best. At best. Okay, you have a concealed handgun. Passage. You know why? Because it's just enough God to get by. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
You know what I'm saying? It's one thing to grow up where God is not even mentioned. God's name is not even honored. God's name is a cuss word. God's name is something to be defiled. So it's one thing for a kid to then to walk away and say, you know what? Even though my dad hated God, I kind of curious about who this God is. But it's another thing to know the truth and have Bible stuffed up in your house to keep the come and walk and then hear that God's just okay. He's okay. We kind of do our thing. We kind of do the, so we're not like them over there because we actually do go to church like every once in a while. So like, like them over there. What I'm saying is if you're growing in your faith, that is great and that is wonderful and I do pray that you continue to grow but you cannot have a pattern of your life being that God is a hobby because you are setting up your kids to never want to know the God you know you know I want us to never lose the awe of God if American commitment would be funny if it weren't so sad. I, I, I talk, and I'm almost done, but obviously the solution of this is the elimination of complacency that I come to God and say, God, there's a part of my life that I have become bored with you. If my devotional life has become stale as toast or whatever it is, I beg God to, refi- to revive that with inside of me. However, you look at this and people talk on the news. Hey, Adrian, <clears throat> what about our religious liberties taking place here? What about um, religious persecution in our country? I have no problem with you focusing on that and reading blogs about that and studying the progression of that. But let me throw a little thought into the middle of that one. It just takes a football game on Sunday for us to renounce Christ. It just takes opening hunting season for us to renounce Christ. It takes a truck. It takes a house. It does not take violence. It doesn't take guns. Are you serious? It takes pleasure, man. We pray together with our heads bowed and eyes closed here this evening. And Daniel, do you mind coming to the piano here in just, in just a moment? In just a second, would you play? I, I, before I, just so you know, 
I know you do have your heads bowed and eyes closed, and so do I actually. And um, I asked Pastor, I said, Pastor, this is your home crew down here on an 8.30 service, because if you're here this early, you love Jesus, okay? That's, that's the truth. But I said, Pastor, I said, I don't know if there's anybody. He said, usually this is his home crowd. And so, obviously, I preach accordingly whenever I know who it is that is there. And I know it's a stern sermon. However, I don't want any person to walk out of here and say, no man cared for my soul. I understand that many of you might be in this room, and Pastor may know the answer to this question, but I don't. So can you humor me, please, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, just so I know who I'm talking to. If you say, Adrian, I'm here today. And I'm not saying in my life I got, it, I got it all together, but I do know I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Would you raise your hand just so I know who I'm talking to? You say, I'm saved. Would you just raise your hand and put it down? Thank you so much. It just helps for me. I understand that your pro pastor probably knows the testimonies, but just I appreciate your honesty and you doing that for me. Now, there might be some in this room. Hey, complacency is the least of your worries if Jesus Christ is not your Savior. If you were not sure that you were to die today, that you'd go to heaven. I will never limit the Holy Spirit of God, what he may be willing to speak to your heart about. But I do know this from the Bible, that if you seek him, he'll seek you. You want to know about God? Maybe you're here and you're trying to figure out God. Maybe you're trying to understand. You're trying to put the dots together. Is there anybody like that this, this morning who would say, Adrian, I'm just trying to put the dots together. I don't know everything about God, but I'm trying to understand him. I don't know if I died, I'd go to heaven, but I'm still just trying to, I'm not against him, but I'm just, I just don't know if I died, I'd go to heaven. If that is, you would just raise your hand and put it down. I'm not going to walk up to you. I'm not going to ask for your email address. I'm just curious. I just want to know. I promise. I just want to know. I won't even know if your hand goes up or not. You know, I was thinking that was a testament inside this room. Everyone inside this room is claimed to be a child of God, and that is wonderful. That is wonderful. This invitation, every church is different in every place of the world. So I'm not necessarily looking for necessarily this, you know, response that is pleasing to me. I am looking for a response that pleases God. I can say this, this is an invitation. That we have been invited to make a decision. And the decision is this, in just a moment, we will stand in just a moment. And as we stand, the only reason it does is if somebody wants to walk an aisle and come to the front and pray, then it just makes it that it's easier for people to do so. Maybe you want to just not stand. Maybe you'd rather just sit and just pray. Maybe you'd rather turn around and make a seat, an uh, altar there at your seat. Maybe you'll stand there and pray. Look, I know every church is different. Uh, pastors give me liberty to do the invitation as if I have the liberty. Whatever it is, as God speaks to your heart, I'm going to give us a chance where I am going to hush that we can talk to our God because maybe our spiritual little motor has gotten a little sluggish as of recent day and we need a recharge. So with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, could we all stand to our feet across the building if we're physically able? Could we all stand to our feet all across the building? Could we stand to our feet? Could we remain in a prayer position? Could we remain in a spirit of soberness toward God, an honor that God is well deserving of? And as we have this time of invitation, I invite you that if God has spoken to your heart, whatever it is, I just ask that you obey him. Maybe he might have you come. You might be a church where you come and pray at this altar. Well, if you are, I invite you to pray at this altar. If you're a church that just sit down and pray. If you're a church that kneels down to pray. If you're a church that just stands up and pray. I am just saying, let's just pray. Let's just pray and talk to our God. And in obedience to him. 
Just ask him, please, God. I have gotten bored. I've gotten bored and it's been evidenced by my worship and it needs to stop. Can we pray? Praise you. Let's, let's just pray. Let's just pray.